All right, folks, we're back with a special bonus episode for you. I'm Kevin O'Coin. I'm Brian Ackley. This is Life in the Rough, the podcast. Episode seven. Kev, this we're, we're doing a bonus episode because there was no way that we were going to make our listeners wait a week to hear you know, the rest of the interview that we had with Mike. Um, there was too much content. We talked for way too long. Um, it was just, it was great stuff. Halfway through it, I knew that this was going to be a two episode thing. There was no way we were cutting that conversation short. Uh, it, it was unbelievable. We, I mean, I think we probably talked to Mike for an hour and a half, maybe a little bit longer. And I know at one point I looked down, like, oh, I wonder how long we've been talking. It feels like 15, 20 minutes. So we were an hour in. Yeah, was, it, it was a super interesting conversation. It, I think he had a really cool perspective. Absolutely. It, he gave such a great insight to what it's like to be on tour and not just like the what you people would think is the glamorousness of it. Like he was out there grinding like 99% of golfers have to do to get where the Rory McIlroy's are or the, the Brooks Kepkas of the world. Like, and it's just crazy, you know, hearing about the way he would travel week to week, different airports, different hotels. Uh, it, it was just, it was eye opening. Oh yeah. I, I thought it was cool when he was talking about um, like the caddy situation, depending on oh. when, whether he was playing on the, uh, the web.com or the Canadian, the Canadian tour, tour or whatever. Yep. Yeah. It, it was just like, he was like, yeah, like there's this, he's like, basically like roadie caddies that would just be sitting in the parking lot wait, waiting to pick up a pro. Dude, it reminded me of so many things. I mean, I had said uh, originally, you know, the people at the airport that want to take your bags, but it's like when you go, it's also like you go on an all-inclusive vacation and the people there, they want to sell you a timeshare or they, they, they want to sell you on an excursion or it, it's just, it, it's unbelievable. That's what I had kind of pictured in my head when he, he talked about all these caddies just sitting in one area asking, yeah. Hey bro, you got a loop. You got a loop. Yeah. It's like the guy, like you're at a red light and he just sprays your windshield down and starts wiping it down for you expecting five bucks or whatever they're looking for at that point. Like, what do you do? I mean, I, I, I feel like you just have to give them the money. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it, it what you're right though. It was interesting to hear him talk about like, what a grind it is. And that you heard him say, I think he said he played seven, seven and a half seasons. He, he was a professional golfer for seven seasons. And I think he said he played what one, maybe two PGA tour events. Yeah. Like it, it, that's crazy. Like you wouldn't think that somebody could play professional golf for that long and like not on the PGA tour kind of thing. Like he had a really, um, it, it was very, very eye opening. Dude. Um, could you imagine the anxiety? I mean, you and I are both in sales, right? So we certainly understand quotas and, and there's certainly some stress that goes into the job. But could you imagine every shot that you hit being like, this could affect my livelihood? Like, this, this will affect my livelihood. Like, it just blows yeah. my mind. When we were talking about, you know, Nate Lashley, you know, four putting and the amount of money that that really cost him and not just money the deeper impacts that the average uh, average fan you and I, you know, may not think about. He hasn't won on tour. If he got that win, you know, which was, yeah, it was unlikely, but if he had gotten that win, he would have an exemption and he could, could go out and play tournaments from now on with that weight off of his shoulders, not worrying that uh, if I don't win, I, I I'm going back. I, you know, I'm, they're kicking me off. Um, so it, I thought that was just really enlightening. Yeah, absolutely. And when he was talking to us about the whole Q, I mean, I don't know, like it, I watch a lot of golf, like we're, we're very involved in golf, but like I hear about Q school, I don't know exactly what goes into it. And he was saying like, it's basically like you essentially have to make the cut in four tournaments in a row, but the cut just keeps getting higher and higher. And you have to be like in the top, I don't know what the number is, but probably 20 to 25% of each one. And then eventually you get to the last one and he said, it, it's like, what, like 20 people in that thing. Yeah. It's it, it, and a handful of them get to move on. It's just like, it's, it's insane. Yeah. It's gotta be an incredible, I, see me as just someone who gets anxious about things. Like I couldn't imagine that the anxiety level that I would feel by, cause I've done it. I'm on, I'm at a normal golf course. Say I'm playing Stanley. I was with you one time. I was two over through 14. I remember saying it too. And I was like, 
that was a stupid fucking thing to say. And then after I had it in my head that I was like, I could shoot, I could shoot low. Like I could be low seventies here. Like this, this is, has potential. Then I went double, triple, double bogey. Like it just, the wheels came off because I, I, I lost my focus. I wasn't thinking about, you know, just playing my game. I was thinking about trying to just get off the course and get a score. And that's never the way to, uh, you know. Oh, dude, I'm the same way. I mean, my psyche is about as strong as like fucking paper mache. So I I know exactly what you're talking about. And I I think we were talking about it too, because it's like one stroke or two strokes can make a huge difference in a tournament. And when you think about it, it's like, it's not one or two strokes. It's a quarter to a half of a stroke per round that makes this huge difference for you. And it's just, it's insane. Like, it's just like the crate, it's crazy. Like, I I don't know. Like you talk about like in every sport you talk about, like when you get to the pros, like everybody's fucking nasty. It's just like, there's like these like small things that like somebody might be a little bit better at. And when you talk about like the top, 200 golfers in the world that are on the PGA tour or whatever the number is like those guys are all fucking good. But even then the difference from the last guy on the tour to number one in the world, it's like huge, big difference, huge difference. And you know, there definitely is that, that subsection, right. You know, the top 15 guys in the world, like they have that edge over, over, you know, the rest of the field. Um, but it just, it, it amazes me to learn how small the population of professional golf is, you know, between the three major tours, um, you know, only 600 golfers between the Canadian yeah. um, PGA and Corn Ferry, like that, that's crazy. Like, and the comparison to, you know, how many baseball players are there in the, in the major leagues, considering, um, you know, major leagues, D2, D3, uh, or a triple A, double A, you know what I mean? Like, right. There are so many people in the league and it just shows how, how talented these guys are and how tough it is to compete at that level. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with you there. And I think our, um, I'm glad we talked to him for as long as we did. Cause I think he offered a lot of really cool insights into that world because you and I are very recreational casual golfers like I think we take our games pretty seriously but we didn't come up playing junior golf and didn't right right we weren't involved in it in that way I'm sure we both played competitive sports growing up but golf wasn't one of them for me so I'm not used to seeing it in that light so to talk to somebody that's played like I guess I guess you would call that like organized golf instead of like you know what I mean but to play play it in that way and also play it at such a high level um it it was very interesting and i I had a really good time talking to him no it was great it was great um well here it is guys part two of our uh conversation with mike bello so with with caddies what is the trust like there like do you just kind of say hey man what are the numbers and then you go off of your own feel or so guys who guys who have full status on the corn ferry and PGA tour players, like mm-hmm. they have their guy, a lot of them, like there's caddying, caddying at that level is no joke. It's a full-time job. Like these guys are not, these guys are, they're very, very good at what they do. Like they are walking the golf course every day. Like a PGA, a full-time PGA tour caddy, when their guy tees off at one o'clock in the afternoon, they get there at like 10. And they like grab the pin sheet, mark down all the pins. They walk the golf course and like, see how it's playing. See how guys are like, how the ball's reacting on the greens. Like it's not like, Oh, we're teeing off at one. I'll see you on the driver range at, uh, at 1145, bro. Like, yeah. These guys are like doing like mapping and, and all this stuff. Like it's hard. Like I've, I've caddied. I, my buddy, John Kern, I caddied for him when you're on tour for like eight events. And then I've caddied for love Mark on the web.com and the PGA tour before. And I wasn't by any means like a pro jock, but it's, it's the real deal. Like you need, like, how far do we got? And it's 
we got 137 to the front. We got 142 to the pin. We, there's, it's 149 to the back edge. The pin's four paces off the left. The wind's coming in from the left. Like, it's not, it's not just, like, carry the bag and put it down. So right. the guys who are really good, they say a good caddy's worth, like, a shot, shot and a half a week. Which, guess what? If you, you lose by one shot, you miss the cut by one shot. I mean, that, right. that's the difference. Are there any- Lashley. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Are there any so caddies? If his caddy had, I'm not judging his, the caddy player relationship there, but like if his caddy ha- had the confidence to like step in for a second and like grab him, he may have only three putted. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's a value to these guys. Like uh, this is a really funny story. Okay. So when I was working at Wingfoot, um, obviously the whole Phil Mickelson thing is, is like famous at Wingfoot in 06 when he blew the U.S. Open. And Bones McKay obviously was his caddy for years and years and years. And Bones does like a Monday outing there every year. So I'm in the golf shop and uh, Bones is telling a story about uh, during the outing, like to the people in the outing, he's like talking and he tells the story that he, on the 18th tee box, he wasn't paying attention and he had his hand on the three iron. Because when it was their turn, because Montgomery was up in the fairway, like, you know, messing around and there. So they were waiting on the tee. So he had his hand on the three iron with the idea that he was going to pull out three iron and hand it to him and be like, this is it. He's not looking. He's paying attention down there. And Phil came over and took driver out and starts swinging. So Phil and Bones is, you know, their deal is that, bones one time a week has the ability to call him off and he had already done it so wow so bones is sitting there with every intention to say hit three iron he isn't paying attention which isn't his fault you wouldn't be paying attention when you're not even close to getting ready to hit but phil just comes over and pulls out driver and starts like making practice swings and now the driver is in his hand and now bones doesn't have the right to to call him off it wow right so, like, if that goes a little bit differently, Phil Mickelson maybe wins the U.S. Open. I mean, he's right. that, I mean, that's crazy. I mean, that's – but that's, that's crazy. I mean you, – You do see that on TV sometimes. You know, a caddy will, will say to him time and time again, be like, I don't know, man, I don't see it. And then you see the player duff the shot. And the caddy – they'll never say anything to the player, obviously. But, no. like, you just kind of see him and you're like – Thanks, asshole. That just cost me. Not, not like that. But yeah, like- no, but it's, dude. I'll tell you what. Another thing, like, player and caddies, they break up a lot more than they stay together. Like, I, one of the guys, there's guys on tour that are so worried about the caddy player relationship that they only hire caddies for like one month at a time. Where it's like you do four events, they can win four times, and he'll, he'll. Well, no, let's not say that, but like. <laughs> They, they could, you know, make a million dollars that month. And it's like, all right, dude, our deal is up, uh, moving on. And it's, that's some people like it that way. And then there's other guys who've had the same caddy for, for, you know, years and years. And it's like they're friends and they're best friends, but like the majority of caddies and players on tour don't travel together. Don't stay together. Don't eat together caddies travel and stay together and eat together players travel and stay and eat together and you meet at the course you have your business relationship you hope it's a really good one and then when you leave you leave and that's that's the deal and it's it's not it's not this buddy buddy thing that everyone thinks it is the majority of the caddy player relationships on tour yes you obviously like the guy you're with you need to but but it's not you don't like leave the course and start texting what are we doing for dinner bro yeah, like the majority you leave and it's like you text them at nine o'clock at night. I want to go at 7 a.m. tomorrow. I'll see you there. And that's it. You know, that's the majority of what the relationships are out there. Right. Which like, I don't like, I don't know, like even you saying that to me right now, I'm like, oh, I'm surprised that's kind of how it is. But at the end of the day, I mean, like, I don't know, you think about the people you work with, you're not hanging out with them every night of the week, like having beers with them and stuff. You know what I it's, mean? It's, it's different relationship. Totally. And it's skewed because most of the f- most famous people in golf right now have steady caddies. So yeah, like, right. Patrick Reed oh, has yeah. a brother-in-law. I mean, Jordan Spieth, everyone in the world is saying Jordan Spieth should fire Michael Grell. 
They've said that for years. Yeah. Years, and he he's not doing it. And then, you know, Tiger keeps guys for years and years, and Phil kept the guys for years and years, and like Dustin has his brother, right? But like Dustin was a guy. I mean, that guy smoked through caddies for a long time until he hired his brother. You know, but uh, the majority of the guys aren't because on top of that guess what as a caddy if your player's not making cuts you're losing money so like i'm not yeah. saying a caddy's firing a player but a caddy a caddy might can be, say i'm good i don't i'm all set. like i need I, to find someone else bro like i'm not making anything with you like i need to move on like yeah it, I, it's 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 a weird world it's a weird yeah. world i wonder how i think it's is it steve, steve stricker whose wife caddies for him yeah, yeah, I think, I think. I always wonder, about, and don't get me wrong, he's been around a while, so I'm sure yeah. it's not like financial no, worries, no, no. but like, I would always wonder, you know, being married, like what it would be like to have your wife caddy for you on both ends, be like, yeah, you said it was 110, hon. Or <laughs> yeah. well, I told you you shouldn't have hit three with you dumbass. And like, I, I think that's so, that's such a funny dynamic. So, so I'm caddying, I, I caddied for Keegan in the shark shootout one year. All right. And uh, his partner is Brennan Steele, and they had won it the year before. And we're playing with uh, Dustin Johnson and Ian Poulter. Okay, and um, <laughs> who's the ugly one in that group? Yeah, this is such a funny story. <laughs> so I mean, Keegan's like one of my best friends. Like I'm caddying for him. Like this is the opposite of a business relationship, right? Like we're just having fun. Yeah. And um, I messed up a yardage. Okay, and it was like the number is not important, but I told him it was like 122 and it was like 112. And now Brendan Steele, Keegan and Dustin are like in the same spot. Keegan's going first and he flags it. Okay. And it lands on the back fringe and bounces oh. over the green. And he with, with like no hesitation just goes and looks at me and I go, don't look at me, bro. Like, like I there's no way I messed up. And he walks over and he's not like that man, you know, he's not mad. Cause luckily Brendan hit 10 seconds after him and, and it's his partner and Steely hit it to literally four inches. So like they're playing best ball. It's fine. But Dustin's like three yards ahead of us. And he walks over and we're, and Bobby Brown was, is the caddy's name. He was caddying for Dustin at that time. And um, Keegan goes, Bobby, how far do you guys have? Bobby's like 111, bro. I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> but, <laughs> so <I'm> like, <laughs> you know, that's, but that's how it is, man. I'll tell you what, it, in that business relationship, you do that one time, you get canned, man. Like, and I bet people hear about it, you know, yeah. it would be no different than a resume. Like, oh, how come your last job ended? Well, I, I gave him a bad number and yeah. I mean, imagine, imagine if that's not a fun event and Keegan's a guy who's trying to, you know, he's playing for his life and he makes bogey there and he misses the cut by one. Mm -hmm. Like So um, since this actually is pretty relevant, how do you feel about um, them tinkering with the idea of using um, technology on court, like range finders, things like that? Yeah, it's, that's interesting. I don't know. I mean, I think it's fine. I don't, I mean... Cause they can, you can use them in a practice round, can't you? Yeah, no. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like people think that they're like, they use them every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. There's not a yardage <laughs> these guys don't know. Like they're they, like all they're trying to do. The hope is that it speeds up play. The hope is that now a caddy doesn't need to go find the yardage they wrote down and find the marker. He wrote it down at, but like these yardage books on tour are so detailed. Like it's, you just, you hope it saves 30 seconds every shot. And the hope is that it speeds up play, which yeah. is fine. It, it's not, there's not an advantage. I mean, that said, you can still mess up <laughs> the, uh, you know, a laser. Like oh, I, yeah. I had it happen to me. I had a, cat, a guy caddying for me. God, I was so mad. New York state <laughs> open 2018. On, uh, not the winner of that one. No, no, no. I came Fucking in third caddy. though. I was I lost by like a few shots. And anyways, we're on. Caddy 13. cost him a few shots, Kev. We're on thirteen. Get rid of him. And he, it's that dog leg left. It's one of the hardest holes out there. And I had smoked a perfect drive in the middle of the fairway, back left pin, and he hits me with two twenty four, 
and I hit like a four iron and same thing as like the Keegan story literally flagged and it flies the green. And I literally look at him. I'm like, dude, give me the laser. And it was two twelve, and he had, he had lasered like, like a bush behind the pin. And I just like put the club in the bag. I literally didn't speak to him the rest of the round at all. That blows my mind. Even when we're, I'm, I'm giving my buddies a, a number in our men's club on Sunday. I probably take the number six times yeah, well, just to make sure I hit the flag. And let's be honest. Okay. It's, it's on the player. Okay. It's my fault. It's his fault, but I, I'm the one who has to be accountable and responsible for hitting the, the golf shot in the mm-hmm. end. Right. So it's, it's my fault, but it's his fault. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> you hit a golf shot based on certain information. Yes, like, yeah. Yeah. If you, you had a blindfold on and he's like, all you have to do is hit the ball 200 yards. And you're like, well, I can hit it 190 and roll. But he doesn't tell you about a pond that is right yeah. before that 200. So I don't think it'll happen on tour, but no. I hope that it does. Because I just, I want that one, that one time where a guy's like, yeah. Like imagine if Kevin Kisner's caddy lasers it wrong and he's giving an interview about it. After oh some my round. God. Like, uh, that would be gold. Gold. He, 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 he did it at the bar stool. Yeah. yeah. What I always think of is the uh, the Paul Casey Johnny Longsox situation when um, his caddy gives him the wrong club. I think they shot that they had the number and everything, and he gives him the he thought he gave him the four iron. I think he gives him the three iron instead. And then after the fact, it just shows Paul just like like he was like being very yeah. professional about it. It's like really, he's like mm, it's like oh, I don't know, I don't know. And they're like laughing yeah. about it afterwards in the presser. But it was like you just he just gave me the wrong fucking club, man. Like I don't just tell you. Now, Mike, before you get into that, like you obviously are a much more experienced golfer. Like I would like to think that I would be able to tell the difference oh, in an so iron in my hand uh, as an amateur golfer. I would, I would bet a lot of money that any PGA tour player, you could hand them a golf club. He wouldn't look at it. He can put it down on the ground and tell you what iron it is. So yeah. Right. I, I know I can do it. And I, I know guys that aren't PGA tour players that can do it. So so that that is a funny mix-up because that's a guy who handed the wrong club and that's a guy who's looking down. He probably went, eh, this looks a little weird, but I'm just going to hit it anyway. Well, <laughs> that, that shows you like how much you trust your caddy. Though. I, mean, yeah. I mean, they're obviously yeah. still together now. So like, yeah. I guess that like speaks volumes, but it's like, you just like, no, you just like know what your caddy told you. Like, all right, whatever, I'm just going to hit this club. Some guys play better that way though. Like there's some guys, some relationships on tour that it's like aim and shoot. Like yeah. caddy tells them how far they are, what club they should hit. And they, like that's how some guys are now. I, I, that's how some guys are. I, I know that for a fact, I can't like name them. I can't think of them on the top of my head, but like some guys get to the, the ball. Hey Jim, how, like, what's, what's the deal? That's uh, one fifty-seven. It's in the wind. I think you should hit iron. Okay. Give me eight iron. <laughs> like, yeah. like it's, it's a sawed off eight. Okay. And they just pay the eight iron and they hit a sawed off eight without even really question like you know that's how much that's how some people operate right yeah that's how people process that works for them yeah i was actually it's funny you mentioned that i was watching something the other day i think i was must have been on golf channel but they were saying i forget who it was but it was a caddy talk he's like yeah like there's times that i will like straight up like lie to my player like it'll be 127 i'll tell him it's 122 because i know how he's playing that day or i know how he's hitting his clubs that Mm -hmm. day and i know he's going to argue against me but i know what the number is and what he should hit when I was growing up, I would do that all the time. My, my dad was a club pro at a course called Woodway Country Club in Darianne. And basically after like a few holes, I'm caddying for a guy. And like, I'm like, all right, this guy's pulling every single putt, like two inches. So it's like, oh, Mike, what's the read? And they'd listen to me because, you know, I'm like the high school kid. I'm going to go off on the pro son. It's like a right edge putt. I'm like, two balls out in the right. <laughs> they two balls out in the right, pulls that yeah. sucker right in the hole. I mean, that's so – yeah, I mean, I'll tell you what though, that is when a caddy does that on tour, I'm sure it happens, like you said. That relationship better be damn good because if that happens and it doesn't work out, five yards yeah. is a lot. That's a big watch miss. Out. Yeah, watch, watch out, watch out. Absolutely. Wow. Because these guys on tour are that they're that accurate, right? I mean they're they're talking about the dimple that they hit on the ball like i I didn't hit the dimple that i wanted it's like what i can't even see the dimple from standing over the ball when you give when you give a guy like dustin johnson 
141 and you give him 145, that's a different shot for him. That's yeah. it's a different feel. That is a different shot. Like he knows what 141 is and he knows what 145 is. And it, it's four yards and you pace off a step and a half in your house. And you're like, no, no way. Yes way. Like, yeah. yes. And he could probably hit each one with three different clubs. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. This is, this is how good, this is how good those guys are. The, the, those, the elite players at that level, best players in the world, the guys who like miss like four cuts a year, Justin Rose, Dustin Johnson, you know, Justin Thomas, Rory McIlroy, those guys, that's how good they are. Phil Mickelson with the wedge, even though he's, you know, unfortunately we can probably say Phil's a little over the hill, but he is in his fifties, but I think he's top five player of all time. And champions tour. He's going to own. Oh, oh yeah. It's, it he, mental case this last week he seemed really really messed up this last week and i don't know what was going on but i have to imagine he's pretty frustrated because you know in in his mind he thinks he can still win on tour and it it seems to be getting away from him now you know like i said i i think he's a top five player in the history of the game and i would argue it to the day i die because he came out at the worst time like are you kidding oh i'm coming on tour oh yeah by the way here's this guy named tiger woods so let's 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 talk about Phil's resume. The guy wins a PGA Tour event as a college student, okay? Wins NCAA's like twice, I think. Goes on tour right away. Wins what has he won? Like forty nine times or something like that. I don't know the exact number, but it's it's an astronomical number. It's over double what Dustin Johnson's won at this point in his career mm-hmm. in the Tiger Woods era. And then all of a sudden, you know. He's like the guy who can't win a major. And then all of a sudden he rattles off like five of them. This yeah. guy is, he's top five of all time. I mean, this yeah. is modern era, Tiger Woods era, like. 44 wins. Like, like you'd 44. say. Yeah, there right. you go. It's it, during that time. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Tiger was winning like 14 tournaments a year. <laughs> yeah. Plus yeah. like, and that was when players were only playing. 17 18 19 20 tournaments like now because they changed the fedex cup points rules for qualifications and all that they force players to play more tournaments and let's let's be perfectly honest about golf it's like any other sport okay if i lived in 1965 i'd be a pga tour player right now okay (laughs) like Let's just call it what it is. I, I am not taking away from Ben Hogan, right? I'm not taking away from those guys. Those guys are the greats, right? But can Jerry West beat LeBron James in one-on-one? No. no. <laughs> so it's the right. same thing. Why is that different? It's not different in golf. Yes, these guys were amazing. The equipment was different. Yeah, yeah. But it, when people make that argument, they're missing the point. The point is that when Ben Hogan went to a PGA Tour event, he only had to beat 10 guys. Okay. Because the 40th guy was the local plumber. Yeah. Right. Right. Now, like we talked about earlier, there's, there's guys you've never heard of that can win on the PGA tour and you don't even know who the, who the hell they are. And it's not, it's not your local club pro teeing it up at the event that week, just to fill the field. It's a guy who's trying to make a living. Who's probably won a lot of tournaments as an amateur who's probably done something as a professional on the local level who's probably earned their card somewhere and has probably earned the right to be there who can win who can beat you so when when guys are winning tournaments at that kind of a rate now that's better than again no offense to ben hogan and those guys in the past they're amazing but they, they the depth of the field is not the you know field is the, so the talent deep. across the world is not what it is now and it's right and you're not it's like, even at that point too like you're not even just talking about the depth of the field you're talking about whoever's coming in second place to mm-hmm. like that first place player is just like echelons above mm-hmm. whoever's behind them kind of thing like mm-hmm. just how tiger was like we were saying earlier today like he would win tournaments by six seven eight nine strokes and meanwhile like this last weekend there was 15 guys within three strokes of the lead or four strokes of the lead whatever it was yeah, it's it's crazy how different it is now. Yeah, Tiger would be strokes ahead of the field before the tournament started. Like that's it, yeah. literally how they would they would vig it out. Like it it was ridiculous. If um, you go back and find the press, there's he Tiger Woods did an interview the week 
at Pebble Beach. I forget what year it is right now, but when he won by the U.S. Open by like 15 shots, whatever it was, and he was the only guy under par. And in the press conference, he goes, no one is going to break par this week. And I'm convinced he said that because he was it was a, it was a mind, it was a mind game. It was it was one of those things where it's like, I know I'm gonna break par, but if I say no one's gonna break par this week and this place is hard as shit, that the rest of the field's gonna start thinking that way, and I'm gonna win by 15 shots. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm convinced. There's there's no way in hell that what we know of Tiger Woods now that he would right. ever believe that he couldn't break par. Right. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And he's always done those things. Like yeah. he'll walk by a ball in the fairway, look at it and be like, Oh, that's not me. <laughs> walk it like, oh, yeah. It, he just, he does those things to get to, to mess with people. Like there's so many stories, him doing things to people on the tee box before, mm-hmm. before teeing off just to get in their, their head. And it's so funny because out of all the people on tour, he's the last person that ever needed a competitive edge. Yeah. He I had the skill to do it. Yeah. But that again, it ties like like we're talking about. That guy is the reason why everyone now coming up is so good. Yeah, because yeah, that's, he's right there on my wall. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And he's the reason. He's the reason why the guys in the PGA Tour be, between the ages of twenty one and thirty two are who they are. Because you know, when I was ten years old, Tiger, it was nineteen ninety seven. And Tiger Woods was dominating the world and you watched him and it was like, shit, I got to do it. I got to do it like him. And then now like people are, it's just, that's how he changed golf beyond like anything else you can say. He's changed the game in terms of like, look at the new generation of player. Like, yeah. And it trickled, right? So you'd have players like Ricky Fowler who got into the game Mm -hmm. because of Tiger Woods you've got a whole group of kids that are gotten to the game because of Ricky Fowler. Mm-hmm. You know, they still may like Tiger Woods, but they may have had that, that BMX interest or like the game is just fully wrapped itself in people of all ages now. I, yeah. I, no, I mean, it's, yeah, it's global. It's a, it's an absolute global game. And it, it's people don't even know how big this sport is and not like in Asia and, and elsewhere, you know, people talk about how it struggles here. I, it doesn't struggle that much. Like golf, golf does. Break. I always struggle to get a tea time. That, yeah. That's the only thing yeah. I struggle with. Yeah. Like golf, golf does a lot better than people think. Like, yes, it's not the NFL, but like golf's doing pretty well. Like if it wasn't doing well, CBS wouldn't put it on TV Sunday from three to seven o'clock. I find it funny. A buddy of mine, he's big into esports, and he'll, he'll send these messages all the time. Like, well, oh, this tournament, somebody just won $3 million. And I'm like, that's all cool. And he said like, that's more than the person wins for the masters, the U S so, and I'm like, okay, cool. But there's a tournament at the end of the year, it's called the FedEx cup um, championship. And the person who wins that gets $10 million. Correct. Um, and on their way to that, that's $10 million. They're definitely winning East Lake also. So they're going to yeah. get what 2 million bucks for that. Like it's, it's not just a small money payday. There is no so much money in golf. No, there's yeah. At, at that level uh, that, yeah 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 if you're getting into the playoffs when you're playing what, on the canadian tour like you're you're not making anything but what would a winner on the canadian tour bring in um so it would okay this is this this is good information because this is like it used to bother me when i was playing and people like oh you're so lucky you play on tour i'm like yeah i play on tour i'm not on tvs and i'm <laughs> making nothing um like a canadian tour winner makes 25 grand canadian so that's nineteen thousand american and it cost you two thousand dollars to be there that week and it cost you between 50 and seventy-five thousand dollars a year to play on mini tours so like you're grinding it, i remember it, so the week i decided to not play mini tours anymore i was in playing the canadian tours in winnipeg and I shot 15 under for the week, shot 67, 70, 70, 67, came in like 11th place, played great major tour, like should be really happy and proud of myself. And I'm, they send you like an email on Sunday. So I'm getting on the plane. I've been away from home for like six weeks. I was coming home for a week off and I get the email and I made like, 
I forget how much it was Canadian, but I, I lost eight hundred dollars. Oh my god! So I I lost eight hundred bucks shooting fifteen hundred par. That's on, oh my god! On the Dagger. third on the third biggest men's tour in North America. I I I could see how someone could hang it up or yeah, and it's, it's like I was like I just can't I can't do this. What do I have to do? What like yeah. at that point? Like what did the winner shoot? Do you know? Yeah, I, I like the winner was like nineteen or twenty under par. Like, like I was, oh, you know, I was like man. one shot a day away from from right. winning. But like, but even let's break it down. Like, even the Canadian Tour, it's twelve events, so we'll we'll just call it on the low end two thousand dollars a week between flying all that stuff. So twenty four grand. You win a tournament, you make nineteen American. You're still five grand short of what you're paying for the rest of the season. You know, for the whole yeah. year for the season. And it's to not, win one out of 12 is still a pretty amazing, uh, optimistic, amazing, amazing, amazing. Yeah, amazing. Right. amazing. But, um, so especially now, like for whatever reason in the last 10 years, mini tours have just declined tremendously. Like Keegan won a Hooters tour event. In, Hooters. Yeah. The Hooters, the Hooters tours. That's the first major tour I ever played on was the Hooters tour. <laughs> but, um, I think he won like 37 grand. Okay. And that's, that's amazing. That's great. It's amazing. Yeah. When I turned pro and I, I was a f- turn pro two years after he did the winner on the Hooters tour was making 25 grand. And by the time I stopped playing and winners on a Hooters tour event was making like 13 grand. So the mini tours died. And why, they, why is that? Because, well, one of it, part of that is 2008, Okay. Yeah. So Keegan won in like 2007, I think, or six. 2008 really put a, a big financial crisis. Sponsors probably yep. weren't yep. as plentiful. Yep. And then, um, and then the PGA Tour decided they wanted to go global and bought the Canadian Tour and bought the Latin America Tour. And now they're sending American kids because, um, end of story, most of these tours are Americans to different freaking countries to play so just to spread it out to dilute it essentially to yeah. give more people the so option to the get secret in. thing the secret thing that people don't know and so i get it is that world golf ranking that one country is only allowed two tours that get world golf ranking okay so they wanted to make the third tour the canadian tour the latin america tour so players could get world golf ranking points mm-hmm. You can't do that inside the continental United States because there's the web, the PGA tour and the corn Ferry tour, which, so that's, I'm convinced that's why. Okay. Because when I was playing on the Canadian tour and I was playing the year at web.com and stuff, I was like, I don't know, like the 900th or thousandth ranked golfer in the world, in the world rankings. Okay. And that's one of the things I say to people. I'm like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm the thousandth best golfer in the freaking world right now. Okay. If I was the thousandth best CEO or lawyer in the, in the world, I'd be on my yacht. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? And I'm the thousandth best golfer on the planet earth. My world ranking is 1000. And I'm like worried about paying from tournaments a few weeks from now. That's tough. Yeah. So that's, that's one of the harsh realities of playing the, the mini tour life and, and making it on tour and, that's it almost like sounds like and we're not going to get into this but it almost sounds like the the guys that get drafted out of high school or college for baseball and then yeah. they're just stuck in the minor leagues for eight yeah. years and they're like yeah, yeah. actually this isn't going to go anywhere but you know thanks for riding the bus a hundred percent and i think there's probably something that like they didn't want the pga tour doesn't want guys like making a living playing the canadian tour like they definitely want to weed people out right they want mm-hmm. guys like me to stop playing so I, I get, I get that. Right. Because every year, how many kids out of college graduate that want to turn pro and, and go play pro. And so there's, they're not going to, you know, <laughs> whoever quits, they can replace like that. So they're not right. worried about like filling up a tour, but they also don't want a guy playing on the Canadian tour for seven years, like making a good enough living to keep doing it, but you're not good enough to jump forward. You're just not bad enough to lose your job there. So you're making just enough money to get by. So you're going to keep doing it. So they don't want that. They want guys to turn pro 
They want guys to go through these steps and they want them to make them the PGA tour or not. Or quit. Yeah. So they can replace that slot with somebody else and move them in and move them out. So there, that's basically what the mini tour is. And, and that's the PGA, you know, that's the PGA tour Canada and the Latin America tour. And then you get these mini tours in the United States. The, I don't even know what they're called anymore. The e, it was the e-golf tour and the Hooters tour and I was playing that that's just gambling. You buy in, you make the cut, you get to take some money out. Like it yeah. was glorified gambling. That's what it was. Gotcha. What is, um, craziest thing you've ever seen on a golf course, whether it's in tournament play or you're just playing at your local municipal course. Yeah. There's, that's such a good question. I'm going to use myself here because this. Oh, love that. So already a good answer. Yeah. (laughs) It's so funny. The things you remember the, so the local high school championship, the FCX called the Hollahan. And we're playing at Woodway, which was my home course, my senior year. And I'm playing against this kid named John Calden. And his dad was the head pro at Shorehaven. And like, I knew him pretty well. And shout out to him. He's, he's like a Marine now. Like, awesome. Oh, shout yeah. out to him for sure. Yeah, definitely. And um, we tie, it's a three-hole aggregate playoff. And we tie the first hole with par. And on the second hole, our drives are literally this far apart. No joke. I go first. And I freaking knock it in the hole. He goes, Eagle. yeah, he goes second and hits the fucking pin. <laughs> like, it's <gasps> like this far, but then he goes up there and whiffs the pot. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so, oh. Like, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's one of the craziest things. And I, I thought that was insane. I, oh, oh, this is so funny. Uh, I'm caddying for love, Mark in Q school second stage and he's married now model relationship in to one of my best friends from high school but this was like a previous girlfriend and she had never been to a golf tournament and he's at Q school and I'm caddying second stage down in Miami and um she goes into the bathroom Jamie makes a hole in one while she's in there and she walks out and missed the whole thing. And we're walking off the tee. And I go, bro, I don't think this is going to work out for her. <laughs> like, 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 if that's not one of the signs right there, like, I don't know what is, man. Like, like. <laughs> oh, my God. That is hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So those are, like, two of the things that really stand out. I mean, I've seen some shots. Like, I've been lucky enough to play with Keegan and – Luke List and Jamie and John Curran and I've seen some whole I've played with Dustin and I've seen some shots that you're like, huh? Like what? Are you, are you serious right now? Like the same the same reaction that we get when LeBron James like slams one home or like Michael Jordan used to dunk on people. Like if you're a huge golf fan and you see Dustin Johnson pull a five wood and hit like a thirty yard butter cut from 265 yards to a back right pin to like 10 feet you're like yeah. excuse me <laughs> it's, what dude, it's, you can, we play with the a flight in our men's club and watch these guys <laughs> drive at 300 and we're like wet yeah. off the tee like holy yeah. shit these guys are sick <laughs> it's yeah. so funny watching the pro like going down to like liberty national or um when they were in the fedex cup or travelers here locally in connecticut when they're here standing on the tee like the confidence, like I remember um, Bubba's teeing off and he has such an open stance to begin with, right? Mm-hmm. So we're on the right-hand side of him, maybe 40 yards off the tee. The He is square up at us. Like the way he has his driver, I'm like, dude, isn't it crazy how much faith we put in these guys? And don't get me wrong, he smashed it down the fairway and it was fine, but you just hear the and whiz right by you. And it's like, it's just unbelievable how hard these guys hit the ball mm-hmm. no yeah a guy, and especially a guy like him i mean he's jumping while swinging pummels it just pummels it pummels yeah. it but have you ever seen any um we had talked about uh nate lashley earlier have you ever seen any really bad meltdowns on the golf oh. course <laughs> some of the worst <laughs> <laughs> i mean i've been guilty of some bad ones when i was younger but this is so <laughs> this is unbelievable I'm playing with uh, a college tournament and uh, we're at Mission Inn in down in like 
oh not ocala but it's like howie in the hills florida middle of nowhere outside of orlando and it's funny because it's kenny perry's son who has the meltdown it's eastern kentucky i think and like we're trying to win the tournament like st john's it's a whole thing and he's like playing last group the kid he'd been playing great all week and he hits it up on 18 and he's using like a belly putter and he like three pots and he's just going absolutely ape shit. And he comes over to the side and like, I'm standing back with my team and like, there's like something else going down over here. And one of my buddies, Kevin Villardo, he's, he's a golf agent now goes, what is he doing? Simultaneously while he says it out loud, he's not even looking at the dude who's having a meltdown. He's like looking at like some guy driving in a, Oh, the guy in the fairway was running back the tee because he forgot his putter on the last screen. So he, <laughs> Where's his caddy at? This is in college. Oh, you know, oh college, back. college, right, right. So he, so he's looking at this guy running back to the tee from the fairway, going, "What the hell is he doing?" The dude, Kenny Perry's son, is on the green, like s- slamming his putter, stepping on it, snapping it in half. He thinks that Kevin's talking about him and turns to him and goes, "What does it look like I'm doing? I'm snapping my putter." <laughs> And it was like one of the funniest, like most uncomfortable little things. You're like, like we barely even noticed, noticed he was doing it. But uh, yeah, that was. It's it, it when you see people do things that are like so over the top, damaging the course, screaming like it. Yeah. It is so uncomfortable. Like no, Kevin, Kevin, and I have seen it. Um, there was a guy we were playing at Stanley, um, in New Britain in our men's club on the third hole it's a par three he he um he fades it into the hole and it pretty much just runs off the right hand side of the green yeah there's woods over there but like it's just blocked by the trees from the tee box so we couldn't see it he's motherfucking the like as loud as like someone's screaming there's a tee box right over here there's a green people are on like me and kevin just look at each other like just drop our jaws the guy parred he went up and down for par yeah. And it's like you you have flip outs like that. I think it was also the same guy who he like three putted and then full baseball swing right at the flagstick. I was surprised that neither broke. Well, flagstick's all fiberglass, so I guess it'd take a lot to to break it like that. But um, didn't break his putter. Just full swing right at the flagstick. And I was well, like, I don't the know, bad man. thing about that too is like. I had my ball marked at like three and a half feet. So I'm like right there. And he takes like a full swing at the fucking pin. I'm like, bro, chill. I'm right here. Yeah, I, I've, 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 I've tomahawked by putter a few times. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, I get it. You know, I, 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 one time, um, you guys ever heard of the game called Wolf? Yeah. Yeah. So we're playing Wolf with my buddies down south. It's like Keegan and John, good players. Before, hold on. How many strokes do you get on Keegan? How many does he give you? I don't take any. None? Play him straight up. Yeah. You whoop that ass? No, not <laughs> But here's the thing. I only, beat, I only need to beat him one time to, like, feel good. Oh, you know? yeah. <laughs> so, it's like a we're playing medalist. And the, if anyone's played medalist, the 11th hole, it's a drivable par four, but you can't see the green. And I had a tee shot that we thought it was on the green, but we thought was like really good. So I ended up going solo, but I had basically, I had driven it on the green, but I was so screwed and everyone else was like not on the green, but they were like perfect. And long story short, I ended up missing like a five footer for a good amount of money. And I gave my putter one of those nice little like helicopters got caught up in a tree in the bushes, like 20 yards from the green had to climb up there and get it with my tail between my legs. Like, <laughs> like you know, done it was, it. I mean, it was, I was angry. It was, it was playful, but it was probably like 80, 99% angry. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> it's but, funny when you throw a club or break a club, the set, like you do it and you're like, yeah. And then 30 seconds, not even 30 seconds, 10 seconds. Are like, oh shit. Yeah. Gonna, you're I, got, I, I need a new pitching wedge or, I got to go up into that tree. Cause I've done it. I've 100% thrown my club up in the air. I did it in my family's course. Um, and I was like, shit, dude. And our idea, it worked. It wasn't the smartest idea. Well, our other idea is, yo, give me another club. We'll get that down. Started throwing other ones up. It worked. Nah, it's, I mean, if, if, if no one here is 
if anyone listening has broken a club before in anger, I, I'm not saying do it, but do it one time. I dare you. It feels great. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Bring like, one extra in the bag. Yeah. Just, or just like go in the park and like keep an old shitty club in the parking lot. Like sh- shoot 117 and go to the fucking back of your trunk and snap that thing. And you're like, wow, that feels good. <laughs> do this more often. Yeah. Yeah. Don't make it a habit. Just do it one no. time. So you know what it feels like. That's no. a valuable tip. If I've heard one. <laughs> uh, so a lot of our listeners, they're just the casual fan out at your municipal course dealing with four and a half, five hour rounds dealing with, you know, people just shaving strokes mm-hmm. that they're playing against in tournaments. What would you say is the biggest like pet peeve or thing that frustrates you the most on the golf course? Yeah. I mean, the big thing now that people talk about is slow play. Like it's yeah. tough. I mean, I was obviously very blessed. Both of my parents were golf pros. I grew up at Woodway country club as the pro's son, like super lucky, obviously. Right. But I've played a lot of golf at public courses, stone farms. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I, I get it. Like those rounds take hours. Sometimes, sometimes it's just, it's a it can be a deterrent. Yeah. A hundred percent. And it, it is a deterrent. It's all, it's a hundred percent deterrent. And, um, I think the biggest pet peeve now is just like, like I get it. If you want to like finish your ball out, I get it. But if you're going to shoot 175, like you need to practice and get better. Right. Not on the golf course. Right. And so like, and there are courses like that. Yeah. There like are cap, executive courses in part three. Yeah, like cap yourself out, out of triple because like, you're making everyone fucking miserable right and you're not like, going to improve and that, like we want you to get better we like like yes. i don't i don't want you to be doing that no one wants you to be doing that but like you can't you need to go to the driving range like like you know it needs to be a mix of both but like when you go on the course like if you're going to make it you know if you're going to make an eight and a par four and and you're hitting your eighth shot and you're 50 yards from the green like pick up like pick right. up please right go to the next hole try again because at that point, you're not breaking your personal best anyway. So, like, just keep it moving. It's just more fun for everyone. No one wants to. No one wants to take six and a half hours to play around a golf. So, like, that is one of the things we need to figure out as like a golfing community and how we like kind of manage that a little bit. Yeah. yeah. If you have a handicap, there, I mean, or, no, sorry. Let me. If you don't have a handicap, you can pick up anytime. Yeah. I mean, I don't know like how it, I guess you just wouldn't be able to score, uh, card your score for the round if you did that and you had a gym. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if you're not to the serious point where you're, you know, paying for a handicap, you're carding rounds, j- j- I mean, for your own mental health, just pick up, like, you're just going to frustrate, frustrate yourself. You're not yeah. going to have more fun. No, no, no. And it's, and it's tear more- up. Don't play the blacks. Please. Don't play the blues Please. as far up as possible. I don't even like to play the tips all the time. Like, it's not, like, it's not worth it. Like, it's not. You don't enjoy two, 230 into every green? Oh, God. <laughs> like, you, I work at Westchester now, and I don't, I don't play the tips in every hole. When I worked at Wingfoot, I didn't play the tips. I played, I would play the tournament U.S. Open tees like three or four times a year. I'm dead serious. Yeah. And it, it, it's not, that doesn't make me like a bitch. Like, that's just, it's just silly to do it. Like, you want to enjoy your round sometimes, yeah, you know? Like there's days in on top of that, like I don't, you don't get to play with many people that are really capable of doing it. And that's not right. a knock on anyone. Like I, when I was at Wingfoot, I used to do these like host rounds. People would come in that aren't members there. And like, and they're like, Oh, like let's play all the way back. And I'm like, no, <laughs> it's not that's an option for you today. Like yeah. you can't do it. Like we're gonna play the whites. It's and that should be done more at courses. Yeah, just telling people and no, you can't play these. Teams. That's why Wingfoot was like a great place, and because I literally would say no, and it it wasn't like an argument. It was like, okay, like where are we playing from? And I'm like, yeah, like I, I saw you hit balls in the range. Like you're not playing the tournament tees. Like it's gonna it's gonna take 17 hours for you to play golf out here. Like we're playing the whites. It's still 6,900 yards long in a U.S. Open golf course. Like you're gonna be fine. Like right. You're driving it 240. Like you don't need to play at 7,600 yards. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. That's how Gillette is. Gillette, yeah, Gillette. I think right on the first tee, they say. I think the from the tips, I, you got to be I've a five told, and under. 
I've been told a four. So it was a funny story. I, I go there with a kid and he goes to the tips. And in my head, I'm just like, I really hope someone tells us we can't play these. Cause like that, that's miserable, especially from the first hole. Yeah. You're looking at like a 240 carry or something like yeah. that. I was like, oh, great. So he says, uh, you can't play those. He's like, why not? And he says, well, what's your handicap? And he says, I'm a four. And he says, you've got to be less than a four to play here. So I think he was just going off of whatever. <laughs> if he said he's scratch, he would have said, he, you've got to be minus probably. Yeah. But, I mean it's so inconvenient. Like, don't get me wrong. If you piss on the ball 320 every time, then yes, you should play from those tees because you're going to have to wait so much longer for the people in front of you to mm -hmm. then hit. Mm -hmm. But you're not finding people that shoot 320 and shoot a 110. They typically are good golfers. Um, yeah. 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 And on top of that, like, don't give me this spiel about, oh, I'm so long. I have to play back here. Well, if you're so long, okay, and you're so good, then why don't you shoot 500 from the white today like it's nothing, okay? Yeah. You're, take the driver out of the bag and use your irons. Like, you have you to want, qualify now. You want to get better at golf? Like, great. You can shoot two over from the tips. Why don't you shoot 500 from the whites? Because th that'll make you just as – that'll make you better than shooting two over from the tips. Mike, I'll tell you, the best golf I ever played, I had the yips with my driver. I was hitting four iron off the tee. I can't tell you how good I was with my irons. Uh, I mean, I was so dialed in because I was forced to be, you know, every shot in 180, 170, like you're hitting those mid long iron and yeah. you get so much better. Thank God he got the driver back and all things are good. But when you take something away, it really forces you to, to hone in on something else. And it mm -hmm. seems like when you, when you piss on your driver, you can't hit a, a gap wedge to save your life. Mm -mm. That's why it's, it's just, it's interesting. Like I, I play different tees all the time. Um, I mean, I, I really do. When I practice, I don't, I don't just run to the tips. Like I'll play par threes from different courts. Now on top of that, let's say you play, you know, you guys go to Gillette and you play Gillette 50 times a year, like mix up the tees a little bit, make right. it a little bit different. Like great. just because it's shorter doesn't mean it's easier. It's not it, right. It's like, great. I'm, I'm playing the, the same golf course for the fourth time this week. I've had seven iron into two every freaking day. Like, what, change it up like right. mix it up a little bit make it different make it fun like i it's i highly suggest that to people people get so caught it, on this stupid it's a mental thing yeah it's, it's an ego, ego thing yeah ego it is thing. It's a macho exactly. thing. like just like just mix it up a little bit do something different like it's not bad how many times <laughs> you see these guys with polo shirts on that are two sizes too small just getting up to the five foot five, getting up yeah. to the tee box, uh, playing from the tips, just knees yeah. bent doing this. And then they yeah. hammer it 60 yards into the brush big, right in front big, of them. Big truck syndrome on the first tee. <laughs> and, and the medium tee. Yeah. 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 Totally. totally. Um, where do you like to play? Oh, well, so you mostly would just play at your local course or do you have a, would you say you have a favorite course in Connecticut that isn't the one you work at? Yeah. I mean, Woodway was my home. So Woodway is always going to be my favorite course, but it, the best, I think the best courses in Connecticut and I'm, I'm down here in Fairfield County. So I've played a lot more down here than I have up your guys way, but Weeburn is one of the best. Stanwich is one of the best. Yale's one of the best. I wish they had more money for their, their. I've their heard Yale's course. beautiful. Cause the, the layout's awesome. Um, Oh, what's the name of the course? Oh my goodness. I mean, I like, this is going to be weird, but I like Watertown. I won the Connecticut junior at Watertown. I love uh, it. Okay. I've heard I, really good things about Watertown. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's, there's so many good courses. I, I just like, like a golf course is a golf course. Honestly, if the greens are good, like yeah. don't bitch about the course. If yeah. you can fight and not be like super frustrated because the conditioning is bad, like your that course is awesome. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm someone who's been privileged to play like around the world and on tours and, and I work at amazing places. I would go to a place I've never heard of in the middle of Connecticut. And if the greens were good, I'd be like, wow, this place is sick. <laughs> you know, like this is an awesome course. So there's a place in uh, Hebron. Uh, I live in Marlboro. So Hebron's just the town over from me. It's called Tallwood country club. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Like there are some parts in the fairway that you might find some, some grass or maybe a rock or something, but they roll their greens daily. They're 
their greens are in pristine condition and it doesn't matter. Hit your ball, hit it onto the green and then play from there. Like unless your ball is in a divot or like in a sand pit because grass didn't grow. Like unless you have something crazy in outlier like that, you've still got to get to the green. Like I don't want to hear all these excuses about it's it's, if the greens are good, the course is good. Simple. Yeah. Um, Kev, I, I I don't know if I have any more questions for Mike. This has been fucking. I was awesome. gonna, yeah, yeah, I was gonna say this has been great. I don't know <laughs> if I have any. I, I think every question I had written down, either I or you have asked. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Mike, I appreciate you uh sitting and talking with us for a while. Yeah, we, we probably took held you for longer than we originally nah, planned on, but sorry. I know I appreciate it. No, this was great. This was great. This is awesome. Anytime. Yeah, maybe maybe we'll get Keegan on the podcast. Yeah, good luck, boys. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll send so him a T-shirt or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll send him some merch. Yeah. I'll, I'll send him a picture of me wearing his shirt. All right, guys, that's all we have with Mike. I appreciate you taking the time to listen. Again, we wanted to put out a special bonus episode for you. Uh, we ended up talking to Mike for about an hour and a half and didn't want to leave anything out. So um, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. This has been Life in the Rough, the podcast. Woo!